Hello, and welcome back to the Event Lab podcast. On this episode, Ed is sitting down with Alex Head, the founder of Social Pantry, a caterer with a social conscience who employ ex-offenders. Actually, these guys are talented. They've got lots of transferable skills. They're often quite charming. They're quite charismatic. They can be quite confident. So those are kind of brilliant people to have within your team. We've got another round of venue talk as the venue experts bring you London's latest and greatest venues. Jake is away this week, so Nathan is joined by Joe Harry, another venue expert from the team, who's also in charge of organising the team's familiarisation trips. It's described as an eclectic, loose and outrageous venue. Um, the Very much a, like a description of yourself there, Jeff. But first, the weather is scorching. What does this mean for events? Changes in the meetings industry? Is it time to turn and face the strange? No loud music after bedtime. Will Hackney Council's new licensing policy kill the borough's nightlife? And the redevelopment of Olympia. Good news for London as a global events destination? This week on the News Digest, Sam and Ed are joined by Martin Fullard, the deputy editor of Conference News. So it's over to the team. Hello. Hi. Hello, Sam. Martin, delighted to have Martin Fullard, Deputy Editor of Conference News, with us. Thank you for being here, Martin. Very happy to be here. Can we start talk about the heat? Everyone's talking about the heat, but it's, it's what is it, 34 degrees? Yeah. Is this a good thing for, for events or a bad thing? I can't work it out. Well, I lived in the UAE for nine years and where it's much, much hotter than this, but oh my goodness me, at least they had air conditioning. We're not set up for this. London struggles. Yeah, I think I think the whole from getting into London to walking around London, it's yeah, it's a real struggle at the moment. But interestingly, I haven't heard from any of my venue clients any particular complaints or problems from people. But again, as a you know, championing the independent venues, they're all managing well. They they've got Plan Bs and Cs. But yes, I think everyone would be looking forward to a bit of uh, rain. Martin, really pleased to have you here because you wrote a. An engaging piece, I thought, in the, on the conference news, on the kind of pace of change in the meetings industry. You called it Change Killed My Milkman. You asked the question of basically you, you were saying whether people are mucking around with, with things in, in meetings and events just for the sake of it. What prompted this article? Well, it did actually start uh, really from the passive aggressive nature of the milk monitor at work, really. Uh, we think back to a time where, you know, the milkman would deliver our, you know, bottles of white every day and it was all happy but that went away and there was no real replacement that was adequate we now have to the audacity of it go and buy our own from the shop and that was just you know how oh, that's unacceptable surely but uh, you know we think about change for change's sake and it is such a contentious point Meeting is always going to be just that. It is a delivery of content. And really, there is only going to be a handful of ways where you can do that effectively. And so often I meet people who are trying to change it up for no real reason other than seemingly to try and justify it to you know their employer or whoever else, that they're just you know doing some work by changing things. Does everything need changing? I don't know. I think, you know, I cited in there the uh, the episode of the plate spinner I met and uh, it was hysterical. The guy came over and we were having a lovely conversation and he gave me an example about how he was using different plates spinning on different sticks to represent goodness knows what. Uh, I, I did zone out, but it seemed like such an awful brouhaha for the, for the meeting or conference he was at. I thought, surely, I mean, that message must have been 
able to have been delivered in a more concise way, surely. Oh, it's just, it drives me mad. So people feel they need to do something different every time Every time there's an event. But I don't know, it seems to me there's loads of brilliant kind of new things and innovation going on in the industry. Sam, what, 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 do, you, where do you stand? I'm, and I've probably said this on three or four podcasts, I'm a meeting design geek. I am extremely passionate about the same well, I'm extremely frustrated about the same things as Martin is in terms of change for change's sake, which we still keep on seeing. I feel that we need to just stop having this conversation and we need to have a bit more of an injection of professionalism into how we evolve our meetings and our content. Um, and that's going to be via sophisticated, smart meeting design, not from guys with a plate spinner. Although I did love because actually I thought it was just an analogy, a plate spinner, but he's actually genuinely... He's probably great at plate spinning. He probably is. I, I, I did see him. He was very good. And I feel that if the content is relevant in terms of a time management conference, then he might be a really relevant person to bring in, to give you that imagery and that picture. However, I think I'm in complete agreement with Martin that we do see change for change sakes. We've talked about event technology apps that are being used... And yes, there is some really, really good stuff out there. Um, last week's podcast around, you know, the craft beers and all these bits and pieces that are being designed and, and can coincide and can get, run parallel with your content, your delivery, your objectives for your event and the experience you want your participants, your delegates to have. There's great stuff, but use it correctly. And the only way you can do that is by designing your meeting effectively. And I think, I'd, you know, I'd like to add to that that I think a good example that we're missing, if you want change for change's sake, let's use change sensibly. You go to an exhibition or a congress and you've got a load of plenary sessions and keynote speakers. They normally always build about 45 minutes in duration. But people switch off after after 20 if they know you. I mean, maybe our, con our content needs to be shorter. People prefer more bite-sized content 45 minutes is a long time to be sitting down listening to someone talk uh, so maybe we need to be readjusting how we think and actually using a bit of science behind it Martin, as an editor of a leading industry publication you must get kind of press releases and pitches all the time about new ideas and new technologies how do you decide what's worth writing about Oh, well, you know, we just kind of like print that now, print that now, print that now. No, it's a little <laughs> bit more scientific than that. Uh, we don't really obviously have an agenda. You'll be perhaps disappointed to hear. Uh, we do judge news on its merit, really. There is no editorial uh, administration, only editorial judgment. And uh, we just want to make sure we give the industry the the best publicity it possibly can, while also trying to tell the truth wherever we can as well. Right now, you're going to have to. You're both going to have to give me some some examples. Best examples, worst examples, change in meetings. Anything spring to mind? Um, yes, I think that people need to look at some of the industry associations, um, some of the larger ones. PCMA convening leaders yeah. um, is a sandbox for innovation, and they do it in such a great way that it means that every event planner that's going to that event has an opportunity to try it, test it, see how it works in a in a beta environment, but yet still in that conference environment. So I think if anybody is interested, and I just for the record, I don't work for PCMA, but I think Convening Leaders is an excellent example of using innovative content delivery um, and content and times um, to produce some really, really nice um, outputs. That means, Martin, you're stuck with the bad example. Oh, I'm more than happy. But I've got to say, I, I am, I'm a massive cynic about... Uh, augmented reality yeah uh, i think it's a great game 
But I think it's just that, a game. I think it's a gimmick. I mean, in, in your actual day-to-day -day conference, meetings, events world, I really do fail to see what uh, tangible uh, benefits it brings. I think there's a case with VR. I've seen some really good VR examples, and particularly when it comes to training. Uh, I saw one recently where you would wear the VR headset and it was training you in the radio uh, studio for training uh, radio producers. Fantastic, because they were in the studio and they could solve problems. That that had a purpose. But AR? <sighs> no, not sold. It seems to, I think you can do AR well, but it seems to me very, very expensive to do to do really, really well. Exactly. So, you know, it's got to pay for it. It's whatever successful has to pay for itself, I'm not sure that does yet. Great. Well, really enjoyed the article, Change Killed My Milkman, on, on, on conference news. Um, moving on, and this is something that saw in the, saw in the Evening Standard, and this is about new licensing rules in Hackney for venues. So essentially it restricts, restricts venues in Hackney from opening past 11pm on weeknights and midnight on, on weekends, and Franz Ferdinand are, are amongst many to speak out about it. I mean, what knock-on effect, if, if any, does this have for, 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 for the events industry in, in that area, I suppose, and, and, and possibly beyond? It'll go somewhere else, simple as that, really. Yeah. Uh, you can't keep the proletariat down. If you bring in tighter restrictions in one part of town, it'll simply pop up somewhere else. They did this in Westminster 15 years ago. Uh, Soho was a victim of that. It's obviously the party scene, the music scene has all moved into that northeast corner. They're doing it now. Then... Say hello to Walthamstow in another 10 years. I think it's going to have a huge economic impact on Hackney businesses. I think um, some of these bureaucrats, and I am going to call them bureaucrats, make these decisions uh, without thinking uh, a little bit bigger, wider and smarter. Um, your kebab shops, your restaurants, your taxi drivers who live in the area, you know, the list is there, your pubs, your bars. This is a really, really bad thing for Hackney and something that... I think comes down to a bit of not in my backyard, which is frustrating because it's created this fabulous culture of of music, of of you know the craft beer type people, the live music, entertainment, a really great part of London to be. And we are our nation's capital. We're not talking about a, a small village in the middle of Worcestershire. And I think it's really sad because I feel that maybe some of the people who've now moved into that area, because it's been such a great edgy area for all my life when I've lived in London and now those people who want that edginess um, have suddenly decided they want it but not past 11 o'clock at night. We're entering uncertain times and we no one really knows how uh, we don't like to bring the Brexit word into every conversation we have but sometimes it's unavoidable we are moving into uncertain times why create more uncertainty now a local authority should be really sitting back and waiting to see what the city needs before it decides what it thinks the city needs i think we as an industry have a responsibility however to start speaking to these local authorities i know from my from championing the little venues and working with these guys you know this is going to have a knock-on of any on our industry in terms of i've got clients who are desperate to drive more income into their venues thus into london who can't because they can't hold a wedding because of the licenses because of the local authorities so i think it's something that should be on the agenda of um our industry the bvp the appg most certainly should be having a conversation with these local authorities educating them into the impact of what we do for for a living mm. bvp you can you can uh, you can lead that charge sam i certainly will be talking to mr james heapy from our you know the guy who runs our or party parliamentary group about this. I think it's really, really important. Some big, I mean, big, big venues been talking about. It. I saw founder of Street Feast and Brew Dog and you know, Leon restaurants that 
restaurants and event spaces that will will undoubtedly be be affected by it but but you think a bit more of a kind of unified voice standing up to to the bureaucrats absolutely i think it's that one thing that we can do we're very good as an industry but we need to be channeling it to the right people and that's the local authorities who don't understand so we have to forgive them something they don't understand the impact of putting on an event such as a Franz Ferdinand concert or a wedding, what that does for their local residents. And it would be a shame for them to only see that when they've uh, when those residents are moving out because it's a lifeless part of London. Let's see, it's the beginning. Make some noise. Exactly. Redevelopment of Olympia uh, has been in the news a lot. It's a £700 million investment, I believe, a big piece of work. Does this have... Uh, have a Significant impact on London as a global destination? Well, I owe it to my colleague uh, Nicola, the editor of Exhibition News, just to mention that she broke that story. Otherwise, she'll uh, strike me with pens when I get back to the office. Uh, but uh, it's it's an interesting one, certainly. And I think we need to just understand here that a public consultation is currently ongoing. And it says at the foot of the article you're citing that a formal application will be submitted or is planned to be submitted in September of this year. So we don't know what timescales we're talking about here. But I think we all know that today football teams need to make their grounds, their stadiums pay on non-match days. Events is certainly a big part of that. And I think we're now seeing a shift where big events venues need to adopt the same business model. Obviously, Olympia is a busy venue. Lots of major exhibitions every year, but of course, they're going to be non-event days. And if you can turn it into a cultural hub, like it's saying it wants to, where there are some cafes, a couple of retail units, whatever, to keep the the building ticking over and keep that footprint getting paid for itself, then surely that can only be a good thing. And I want to just add as well for the evasion of doubt that it does say in the article at this stage that there would be no reduction in the level of available uh, event space at the venue. But I think actually getting for its, itself to pay for itself on non-event days is actually quite important sustainability-wise. Great, Martin. It's been brilliant to have you here. I look forward to reading more about spinning plates and and PowerPoint. Well, I'll probably need the plate spinner to help me uh, get their messages I'm going to volunteer thoroughly. to learn to be the plate spinner. Oh, good. What, plastic plates or ceramic? We'll start ones? with plastics oh, first. Good. That's probably easier. <laughs> Heard it here first. Sam, always a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Ed. See you all next time. Take care. Great stuff there, guys. And thanks again to Martin for coming in. Now, up next, Alex Head from Social Pantry is chatting with Ed about entrepreneurship in events and hospitality. Alex, fantastic to have you on the Event Lab podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Ed. So kind. Social Pantry are, am I right in saying, in the Evening Standard today? Indeed, you heard it here first. That's right. Super exciting. What are you? What are you in for? What are they? We have um, uh, been featured. They featured my new restaurant, which is really, really exciting. So over in Ealing, we've just opened a hundred-seater restaurant, and they've put a lovely little piece in there about the ex-offenders that we work with. Amazing! I, I really want to talk about the ex-offenders stuff. Um, but first, I mean, Social Pantry really exploded onto the scene recently. I mean, maybe you can tell us a bit about it in your own words. 
Yes. So I started Social Punch about six years ago and we are primarily an events and um, contract catering company. So we deliver into offices. We do lots of corporate and private events over London. Um, and then we also have now six sites in London as well. So including a cafe and a couple of sites in Ealing. You've grown so quickly. When did you when did you start? It has grown quite quickly. So we started in 2012. The cafe now in Battersea is a really kind of gorgeous little food hub, which is all quite relaxed and quite fun. We kind of have some wild lock-ins there in the evenings. Um, and that was started four years ago, and that was the first, the kind of second site in addition to our kind of catering, um, kind of catering uh, kitchen. I mean, seeing it everywhere. So obviously doing a brilliant job. And you've got a real social element to social pantry um yes. i know that is it 10 percent of your your workforce is, is made up of ex-offenders is that yeah, right exactly so that's something that i really try and stick to so for me i was just really really naughty when i was a child and i got expelled from school when i was 15 um and so i just kind of started cooking and it basically kind of just kept me out of trouble um so i yes yeah, started kind of selling sandwiches when i was about 15 or 16 off the back of my bike and kind of ultimately kind of grew a little food company from there so for me um, anything's really possible with a good bit of hard work and just a bit of opportunity so I love to kind of provide um, the guys that I meet behind bars you know opportunities for employment on release um, and then we also work with some companies and some prisons where the gentlemen come every day from prison as well so yeah it's really exciting for me but I honestly always love kind of telling other employers that these guys are really hard work working they're so dedicated they're really committed and they're really talented young guys so for me it's really important to kind of you know embrace that and get them on my on my team so, so you go into 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 prisons as well? Yes, exactly. So I go into prisons. I spend quite a lot of time in prison, and um, yeah, kind of go in and meet with them and interview them behind bars, um, which is great just to kind of get to know them. And then we obviously really support them on release. So when they come out, they kind of will need additional support for kind of housing, or you know, potentially setting up bank accounts, or being flexible with um, their probation meetings, or if they're on tag. So you have to be quite understanding as an employer. But as a result, you know, they are brilliant employees you know i mean it's a fantastic to have such a kind of bold social social element to your to your company what kind of what kind of impact impact does it have on your on your business i imagine it's a real galvanizing galvanizing thing for your team yeah i think ultimately for me when i started the company it was brilliant we cater for some incredible event clients all over london um and they are brilliant and we cater for lots of fashion brands and you know it's all kind of really high-end it's fantastic it's also kind of really accessible through all of our sites but for me what's really important is actually making a difference so for me it's about um creating a company where employees whether ex-offenders or not can really learn where they can kind of go on a journey and learn skills while they're at social pantry and really kind of benefit from um kind of working with us basically but um i just think it's really important to make a difference alongside all the kind of fancy catering that we do yeah no i completely i mean it seems to me that so many businesses in in events and kind of hospitality i mean they're facing a a kind of staffing and and recruitment issues i mean is there a an opportunity here to do to do do more of this in this in this industry yeah definitely i think retaining staff is one of the hardest things like you must kind of know that as well and i'm sure any business owner kind of that's you know their number one thing they're only really as good as their staff um so it's really important to have kind of the best staff and when you're a small company you don't have kind of endless budgets for huge salaries so you've got to just create a culture which is kind of really enjoyable Mm. hospitality is such hard work at the best of times like you know cooking chef events restaurants my god is it challenging and it really tests you so for me I try and um you know try and 
put in place kind of systems that make it really, really enjoyable for them, make sure they really enjoy their jobs, because otherwise it would just be too difficult. But ultimately, it's all with the kind of aim of um, getting people to learn and grow within my business, to give them opportunities and to retain them within my company. But one way of kind of recruiting is through you know looking at guys who are behind bars and actually these guys are talented they've got lots of transferable skills they're often quite charming they're quite charismatic they can be quite confident so those are kind of brilliant people to have within your team but yeah I think there is kind of I think the industry definitely needs to kind of um yeah recognize that there's great skills and talents with these guys uh, completely I mean I guess any, any kind of advice for I mean businesses businesses in the events industry listening to this any kind of advice for first steps to to yeah totally like if I can do it you guys can do it like with a small company like really embrace it I started off doing it through a charity called Key for Life who are really fantastic and they kind of I suppose just got you know led me through the whole process and I still got Suhail who still works me now kind of three or four years on and he's fantastic he's got keys to all of my sites and my flat I think so he's the most trusted most brilliant kind of employee that I've got and he's just absolutely fantastic but the charity were there really to kind of um you know answer any questions and guide me through you know things like kind of helping with probation meetings and bits and bobs like that where you you know where you potentially haven't got experience um in those areas and um, going through a charity is a great way to kind of get yourself set up with your first ex-offender brilliant well it's a wonderful thing and, and great to hear it here in your words um Alice, i want to talk to you actually a little bit about entrepreneurship and events because yes. you know you started you started this business all all by yourself i, mean, I yes. did higher space but i I did it with one of my best mates, and I, I, I don't think I could have. I know for a fact I couldn't have, couldn't have done it done it on my own. Talk to us a little bit about the journey of, of, of taking a business from absolutely nothing in this industry to what are you sixty sixty people now? Yeah, um, I yeah. think just under, which is totally terrifying um, to even think about that. Um, yeah, it is really challenging, and I would definitely um, advise people to kind of write a business plan, um, get funding, and do it the sensible way. Or you can just really, really, really graft and learn from every single mistake along the way. I think doing it on your own has some pros and some cons. Now, you know, the pro it's great because you you know you can make decisions very quickly um you you kind of can you know you can really create your own vision without having to compromise that much and that's really exciting but I think also what you don't have is that kind of instant support you know second opinions I actually also didn't really have any business business mentors until a couple of years ago and actually as soon as I kind of did get a few people that were brilliant to kind of go to and chat to that's when my company really started growing how did think, you find those people um, through through the in, I think one of the kind of the main mentors actually connected with me, which is brilliant, and that was fantastic. But I think I just kind of assumed that I was meant to know everything, and just kind of mm. didn't really want to ask for help. So I think one of the biggest things is you know being really open and honest with your team, and you know with people around you that you don't know you know everything. You're not going to get it perfectly right. It's okay if you don't get it right the whole time. Just learn from your mistakes. React quickly if it's not going in the right direction, and kind of keep learning. I think that's the biggest thing. Is that we as a small company. Company, we are so reactive but doing it on your own is definitely challenging for sure but I have got the most incredible kind of team of staff you know doing it with me who are so brilliant um I mean, two team of 60 people and how do you keep how do you keep your team happy I mean there's a there's a big like a discourse in in the industry about kind of employee well-being and and, yeah. and uh ways in which companies can, can can keep their team happy and thriving and enjoying what they're doing is that 
is that something that takes a lot of your a lot of your kind of time and headspace? Yeah, definitely. Like one thing for me is that I, as I kind of said, I really want to create a company where people really want to come to work, and that is so important. So that for me is as important as getting new business or the ex offender element. Like that really is um, something for me that's so important. And ultimately, I just want to motivate. You know, whether they're kind of youngies coming through or people that are kind of having a career change, that hospitality can be really fun. I think it can. You know, you can work in hospitality and have a work life balance. That's so important. You know, being a chef you don't have to be working you know 20 hour days that's not at all what I'm about we're definitely kind of you know gone are the days of having a shouty male dominated kitchen that's just like absolutely no way we've kind of just got a really lovely learning environment but I have um on Monday, which is really exciting, it's got our first culture manager starting, um, which is really lovely. And ultimately, it's Emily, who's brilliant. She's coming back from maternity. Emily will be looking after the ex-offenders really closely, which is great because as the company's grown, it's quite hard for me to kind of do that. Um, and she'll also be putting systems in place um, that ensure that when you start Social Pantry, you kind of go on a journey, basically. And we've put this journey in place. So if you were a chef, this journey would make sure that within you know a couple of months, you did your own supper club at the cafe. And within six months, you did a stars so you'd go and work at say a zero waste restaurant in London or another inspirational restaurant kind of on our time and money um, and then you'll kind of be collaborating with menus by kind of month eight so basically we've put in place this kind of um, journey as such that you go on to make sure that they keep learning and um, for front of house they'll be learning about wines they might be doing barista training and that's for kind of the office house the office staff as well as kind of the front of house staff but basically we kind of also are putting in place like inspirational lunches. So we're, I can't quite remember what we're, what we're calling it, but the first Monday of every month is um, uh, a kind of an industry expert will come in and chat. So it might be a florist or it might be a wine expert, but they'll come in and kind of, um, you know, everyone that's having staff lunch that Monday will kind of sit and listen for half an hour and kind of meet this person. So yeah, we're kind of putting a lot of time and budget behind creating a really kind of cool environment where people will come and learn rather than it just being a day-to-day job. I think oh, I found exactly the same thing. You need someone focused on that exclusively on creating that 100%. brilliant business culture that everyone everyone wants to work yeah. in Alex what's what, what's next what's next for Social Pantry oh what next I was asked that today and I was um, yeah I was saying I'm just going to try and make Stone's Kitchen which is our new restaurant in Ealing like a real destination spot so that is kind of the next couple of months focus is going to be on that and then um, yeah just going to be writing some cool recipes but potentially not opening any more restaurants this year take it easy a bit exactly yeah definitely a bit of downtime enjoy the summer and then yeah just focus on getting it all kind of really really right and it's been brilliant to talk to you. you've got clearly a fantastic business and uh, a really kind of bold bold social element it's uh it's been fascinating learning about it brilliant thank you so much thank you Ed. that's really kind thanks alex finally to round out the episode we've got another red hot edition of venue talk Hello everybody, welcome to Venue Talk. This is uh, Nathan from Highspace, from the Venue Expert team. I'm uh, joined by Joe today, because uh, Jake unfortunately isn't around. How are you doing, Joe? Great, thank you, Nathan. Thanks for having me. It's uh, good to finally be on the, the famous Event Lab podcast. Yeah, for your debut. For the debut, the big one. Always the best performance, so I think I might just keep to this one. So we're going to be doing something a little bit different this week, as well as running you through some amazing new venue openings, as usual. We're also going to be talking to you about fam trips, um, which are short familiarisation trips, um, which are opportunities where venues show agents and event bookers their venues and show them what sort of stuff uh, that the venue can do. So Joe here is in charge of organising fam trips at Higher Space, and is a perfect man to talk to us about what we think makes the perfect fam trip and how to get the most out of these opportunities. 
Great, that's a very kind introduction, Nathan. Excellent stuff. So, starting us off, uh, as I'm the seasoned veteran now, uh, I will start us off with a new venue, if that's all right, Joe. Absolutely. So, the one I wanted to talk about um, is the unit Mayfair. So, this is a this is a gallery space. It's actually uh, run by two guys called Johnny and Joe. They're school friends. They they started out. This isn't their first venue. They move around London. Um, they started out on, uh, on, on Instagram, uh, kind of providing a gallery space for young artists who weren't getting a chance in the major galleries. Uh, they contacted, found artists, young, exciting artists on Instagram. Started off with a South African guy called called Ryan Hewitt, and I think their first gallery was in uh, Chiswick. They've had them in uh, in Covent Garden, which they've still got open. Mercer Walk, Wardour Street. Now they've moved to a uh, a new home, the Unit Mayfair. Bit 600 standing, amazing for exhibitions and gallery displays, obviously, but also fantastic for standing receptions up to 600 people. Uh, dinner for 300 uh, across a couple of floors as well. Natural daylight. It's a, re- it's a really beautiful gallery space. So um, yeah, do, do look out for that. It's a br- brand new venue and uh, certainly looking forward to seeing what, what sort of events they've got on there. So uh, the one I wanted to bring to the table, literally and metaphorically today, um, is the new space opened by Adventure Bars or soon to be opened by Adventure Bars. Um, it's called Blaine Gloria. There's not even any pictures of this out yet. It's a very exclusive new opening that I only heard about yesterday. Um, it's described as an eclectic, loose and outrageous venue. Um, the very much a, like a description of yourself there, Jeff. Well, yeah, I mean, that's actually what drew me to it. So I, you can probably catch me there when it opens uh, for if you want to meet um, some of the stars of this podcast. Amazing stuff. Um, I mean, obviously I understand, but it's, it's not open yet. But I do appreciate you've put some effort into to finding out some information because when I saw your notes earlier, it just said blame Gloria vibes. Well, that's the uh, that's the main point. actually that uh, that I thought it's um, going to be loads of vibes, loads of vibes, loads of vibes in this place. And actually, since looking through some of their mood boards and ideas, found out that they um, have some wallpaper themed on some of Jimi Hendrix's jackets. Oh yeah. So um, it's definitely going to be a really, really trendy new space. Adventure bars, um, well known for Adventure Bar and Covent Garden, where I'm sure a lot of our listeners will have ended up um, at uh, on nights in Covent Garden and really, really cool spaces like Tonight Josephine and a roof bar called Bar Elba. So I'm sure Blaine Gloria, when it opens, no date yet, will be um, yeah, a really cool space. Yeah, very much looking forward to getting loose and outrageous at Blaine Gloria. So uh, thanks for bringing that to the table. Looking Jerry. forward to it. Um, so w- one more venue for you this week. Uh, I wanted to talk about a, a, another fairly outrageous and loose one. It's called 26 Leak Street. Um, I mean, I looked at it and it does, it does look like a really, really amazing venue. It's, it's underneath Waterloo Station in the tunnels. Um, so anyone, anyone familiar with the, with the, with the vaults there, it's obviously very similar to that, um, but, but really big. It, it holds up to 1,200 people. It's really multi-purpose. It's, it's open now and they've already had some really great events. They've had product launches. Adidas um, stuff like that but it's it's also only part of what it's going to be so by mid 2019 it's going to have a brewery on site it's going to have a restaurant and, and it's going to be a live performance venue so it, it already looks amazing we're already hosting some amazing events but definitely one which is going to develop in the future and become even even more amazing than it looks already and uh, we've already had some some famous guests Joe um, so tell me if you know any of these so it's been visited by um, by Drake Hasn't got a second name here, so I'm not not totally sure who that is. Um, I, I'm I'm assuming just maybe just a, a man called Drake. Yeah. Um, has has actually visited it recently, so that's that's quite a not very common name. So, yeah. um, Professor Professor Green. 
Yeah, commonly known from your science class. Yeah, my science right? teacher, that's right, Professor Green. And Big Sean. Um, yeah, really yeah. fun fact about Big Sean, actually. It's not an ironic name, and he is actually reasonably tall. Cool, good stuff. Yeah, if you want to know about more facts about Big Sean, or, <laughs> or Drake, or Professor Green, then obviously get in touch with Jerry. He'll be quite happy to talk you through some of that. Um, but in all seriousness, this looks like a really amazing venue. Um, graffiti, graffiti all over the walls, it doesn't really look like too much else which is out there. So definitely product launches, parties, stuff like that it would be amazing there. And as I mentioned, it's going to really develop in the future and become a lot more than it already is. No, it does sound like a really amazing space. Thanks for uh, bringing that one. Yeah. No, no worries at all. So Jerry, um, one more thing we did want to talk about, uh, as mentioned at the start of the show, was uh, how a venue would put on a perfect fan trip. And obviously this is something you, you typically have a lot of experience in since you yeah. organise fan trips for, for the rest of the team. So, as I'm sure a lot of event professionals will know, a fan trip is um, short for familiarisation trip. Um, if you're booking a venue, if you have a lot of events, um, venues will often, often invite, invite you in um, to see the space, taste the catering and, and just experience how the events would usually be run there. And obviously there's there's good and bad ways. You, uh, although most event professionals will see countless venues, um, we're still emotionally led people. And if you get a good experience somewhere, if the, if the uh, events team treated you great and you got on well and had a great time, then that will inevitably, inevitably lead to more bookings, a better relationship, and hopefully, yeah. yeah a great working partnership going forward. We actually went to um, Bentley's recently, which is an, ama an amazing um, oyster bar and grill in central London. Um, you know, the, the service was unbelievable. Um, we, we tried oysters, we, we ate an amazing four course meal, tried their wine. And actually since then, um, our bookings team was, was so kind of over overpowered by this experience that we, we've sent plenty of inquiries. We've booked one recently and it just shows you the power of uh, a really great arranged fan trip that that can that can lead to an amazing working relationship between a venue and any event booker. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so obviously, very important to to give a, a really amazing experience um, and make it as memorable as possible. Um, but the last point we, we kind of we we kind of wanted to touch on is um, is, is following up afterwards. Uh, a lot of the time, you'll you'll have a really great fan trip. There might be good com conversation and good communication on it, and it's as we mentioned before, it's a start to a really good relationship but after the fan trip there's there's not too much conversation anymore um as we mentioned before we think the fan trip is the first stage of a great relationship um it's not the last and it's really important to follow up afterwards so if you're mentioning certain things about events about packages or on the fan trip itself to the agency of the team um it's really important to, to follow up the next day or, or over the next few days with the team talk to them about it over the phone, maybe send through some documents that you mentioned. Um, otherwise, everything's just going to get forgotten. Agencies, at the end of the day, do see a lot of venues, and if you're not following up and keeping in good contact, then then there is, you know, the potential for some, some things being forgotten, um, which obviously is a bit of a shame when you put all the work into hosting a really amazing fan trip. And as you mentioned at the beginning, I think it's, it's the perfect way to say it's the, the first footsteps in a hopefully a long and fruitful relationship where we can work together, book amazing events and make sure our clients have really great experiences in these amazing spaces. Okay, fantastic stuff. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for joining me this week, Joe. Um, really, really great to have. No problem at all. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, no, no problem at all. Well, we will leave it there then. Um, so that's goodbye from me. That's goodbye from me. Now, before you go, there's a big date in the events calendar coming up 
It's the Higher Space Awards, and the nominations are now open. Deadlines for venues looking to enter close on the 3rd of August. Entries for event bookers and teams close on the 20th of August. It's a great evening of drinks, entertainment, and a dinner that celebrates the very best the industry has to offer. Thanks very much for listening to this episode of the Event Lab podcast. As ever, you can find links to most of the things mentioned in the episode in our show notes below. For more on Event Lab and to stay up to date with all that's going on, you can go to eventlab.online. If you have any questions or you'd like to get in contact with the show, you can email us at eventlab at higherspace.com. And finally, you can follow all that we do on Twitter and Instagram using the handle eventlab underscore HQ. Thanks very much for listening. <laughs>